Welcome back to, oh, you didn't know, episode 22 with me, Cassio Kid and D-O-double-G, Road Dog himself. We are rocking and rolling. And look, if you heard us last week, you know Brian James Road Dog turned the reins over to me, Cassio Kid, Ryan Katz, Smiley, went back to WWE. He can't do it, so he turned it over to me, and he promised this will not be a Bruce Pritchard situation. He's going to do it. He's going to do the podcast, and we're going to do it, but for this week, he's stuck in the office, as you can imagine. So we're going to do a best of episode. We're going to do best of clips from the past, so you'll see a lot of Road Dog, a lot of Smiley, our boy Ryan Katz. And and enjoy, okay? And enjoy. Man, in the meantime, subscribe, like, comment, whatever you want to do. Enjoy our best of this week. We'll be back rocking and rolling next week. This is going to be a tricky question, so so I'm looking forward to see how you go about answering this one. <laughs> What's something you think Hunter will change that he should leave alone? Wow, that is a tricky question, and I don't know. Do you have something in mind? No, I don't. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just wondering if, I mean, you you know him even better than me. I mean, you've worked with him. You've been friends with him. You're close. So, so, so look, to, to be quite honest with you, I saw, uh, I was very impressed with Bobby Lashley beating Ciampa last night because I wondered if he wasn't going to, you know, yeah. uh, yep. put the title yep. on Ciampa because Ciampa's his guy or whatever, and, and I was proud that he didn't do that he left the united states champion on bobby lashley and our championship on bobby lashley and i think that's where it should stay right now i think that he's smart enough to know putting chomp on tv in that caliber of match uh, with the stakes of of the united states championship on the line that's a huge victory for Ciampa. You know what I mean? Even through the loss. And so and, and then and then giving him the the homage uh to Harley the Harley Race. Race. Yeah, the, yeah. The, that the, was the, looking it made you immediately go, Oh my god, I love Ciampa. You know what I mean? Because uh, now Harley Race is tied to him and Har- I loved Harley. Harley was a great champion. Man, what a cool moment. And then Still didn't put him over. And so when I was watching and I saw he had that title match and then I saw the Harley Race stuff, I thought, oh, they're gonna man, do it. they're going to put him over. <laughs> and I just thought that was the wrong decision. Look, I, he proved me wrong right then. I thought, okay, good. He made a, a sound business decision uh, and it was right for everybody. The match was terrific, but it did absolutely add that extra element of suspense and anticipation hey, for the so finish. That's what, of, that was, of, that was what they were shooting for, right? That they were shooting for, we're going to see a title change hands tonight. And, and that's what I was thinking. And I was happy that I was wrong, but I thought that going in, so mission accomplished on them, right? We've been talking a lot about Vince and H and changes in philosophies and all of that, but let's play fantasy corporate booking for a second. Let's pretend H calls you up and puts you into some sort of executive producer role on Raw or SmackDown, maybe even an NXT. What's the first thing you would change if you had control of making a change? Hmm. We're probably, uh, it would probably be funnier than it would be good. 
but but you know, look, I don't think I'd change anything. I think wrestling is wrestling, and you do things that are creative, and you try to do things differently. But nine times out of ten, you've seen it before, and uh, and and so so. If anything, I think it would just be maybe the dress code. <laughs> Staying a little bit more casual. A little more cash. I think you know, it was funny for the road of NXT that all the, the talent and, and and the producers as well yeah. loved that they did not have to travel in a suit and oh. the NXT uniform was tracksuit, yes. which then would bother so many producers <laughs> and talent when NXT would show up at pay-per-views yeah. in tracksuits in the NXT brand and yeah. not in the WWE look. Look, I, I, I think... They should have uniforms. You know what I mean? Like you, you see the, uh, and and maybe it's sponsored by Nike. Maybe it's sponsored by Adidas. Maybe it's sponsored by Reebok, New Balance, whatever. But it's WWE tracksuits, and you know when the WWE's in town, here they come in their tracksuits, and they don't have to be look. The NXT ones weren't glaring and said NXT. They were tap out, and they had an NXT on the sleeve or something, and so everybody looked really uniform and cool. That's my military background coming out. But I would love that. I would love it. And I'm sure talent would too, you know, rather than showing up in a, in a suit and so forth. With NXT's demo skewing older, maybe they could get like an OrthoFeet sponsorship or something <laughs> for like an orthopedic <laughs> shoe and some yes. leisure wear kind of yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, the Greg Norman collection. <laughs> So I don't generally quote The Observer too much, but I'm curious on this one from the April 29th, 2013 Observer. SmackDown opened in Glasgow. Main event saw Sheamus and Billy Gunn and Road Dogg beat The Shield via DQ. Really telling not only that the Outlaws, who weren't even main eventers very often in their primes, and a dozen years after come back and headline now. The finish saw a DQ when they triple-teamed Sheamus. They were about to give Sheamus the triple-team powerbomb when the Outlaws jumped into the ring with chairs. Gunn gave Rollins a Famouser. Sheamus gave him a brogue kick, and the Shield left. Are you surprised you're in the main event, or, you, or, or do you take what Meltzer is saying uh, as an insult to the crew at the time? No, I think, look, I think it was more to his take has has been, and I don't know if, if me and him ever had a run in or if what, what, but his take has always seemed to be negative towards us a little bit. And I, and look, maybe it is because we were old guys coming back and working with new guys and, and beating them and stuff. And maybe he's not, he's not happy about that. And, and that's okay. I, you know, opinions, uh, they're like a holes, everybody's got them and they all stink. Uh, but, but he, he just, everything you read out of the observer just seems to have a negative slant. And so it seems like it's somebody in there don't like me and Billy, or they don't like the fact that we're on there stealing spotlight where a younger guy should. And, and that's a valid, that's a valid point. You know what I mean? If that's your point. Uh, but yeah, it just feels like they're always burying us. Um, cause we were main eventers. You yep. know what I mean? Like, uh, it was kind of dumbfounded me when I read that, the notes that he said, like they were more than main eventers back then. Like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uncle Dave. Who was your favorite wrestler growing up besides your dad? Um, in my youth was uh, Mr. Wrestling number two. He was huge in Atlanta. And I mean, like top, one of the top baby faces and, and just super push and never, uh, you know, you never saw him without his mask. Yeah. And even 
even later in life, uh, he came and worked the continental area a little bit and he'd go in the shower with that mask on. I mean, he protected <laughs> the gimmick. He, he protected it big time. But as I got older, um, Ric Flair. So look, Ric Flair, I've Ric Flair. Please let me tell this story. Yep. Do we, do you have a minute yeah, where I can do. tell the story? So this was, um, I had just moved down here and I was 21, I think, and just able to get in the bar at the time. And down, down so, where Scott? Oh, I'm sorry. Pensacola. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the Southeastern territory. Redneck and so back in, yeah, yes. And back in those days, each wrestling territory would get the world champion for a week. And so it was Flair's week to be in Pensacola. And he was working against my dad every night in the main event. And they were going, you know, 50 minutes or 55 minutes or whatever. And so, uh, I go to the show, I watch them do that. And my dad goes, Hey, um, Flair doesn't have a car. So I want you to go take him out wherever he wants to go uh, and just don't let him go to jail. And I just started, I started going, no dad, Hey, that's not me. No, no, I don't want anything to do with it because, you know, I'd heard all the stories about Flair and, uh, at this time, Flair's probably in his thirties. I mean, and already the world champion. I mean, so anyway, I, I watched their match 50 minutes. I mean, long match. We, I take him back to his hotel. He said, Hey, yeah. Can you give me like, uh, you know, 45 minutes or so? I said, yeah, sure. So, you know, I go sit in the car, I come back and he opens the door and he's in his boxers, his Sunday go to meet and shoes <laughs> with his black socks on. And he's got back then a hotel room had wooden old wooden chairs, you know, like a block chair. Yep. And he had it up against the wall in his hotel room and he was doing step-ups and he, he just opened the door and went right back to doing step-ups. And he said, Hey, put whatever you want on the TV. Just, just give me a few more minutes. And he starts doing these step-ups. Well, he, he did them forever. And I said, um, Rick, how many do you do? And he said, well, I do 10 sets of a hundred. And I went, well, you traveled all day and you just went 50 minutes at least with my dad. Um, why do you, and he said, well, you know, uh, 60 minute man, space mountain. He said, you gotta live the gimmick. Right. And I said, yes, sir. You do that moment in time is etched in my mind because he was at the top of his game in his thirties, top of his game and stayed there for a long time. But without even saying a word to me, he showed me what it took to stay at the top of your game. And Man, the respect I have for that dude, his work ethic, uh, in his prime, second to none. Of course, after that, he got dressed and we proceeded to go to a bar and where he literally said, and I, I'm not kidding, he said, but we walk in the door and everybody, it's midnight now, and everybody in there turns and sees, oh my God, it's Ric Flair. It's nature boy, Ric Flair. And he literally says, barkeep. Make me a pitcher of kamikazes. And the and the kid goes, Well, Mr. Flair, I don't know how to make a pitcher of kamikaze. So, well, do you know how to make a kamikaze? And he said, Well, yes, sir. He said, Well, then make one and make them go all the way down the bar and hand me a pitcher. To this minute, it is the most alcohol I've seen on one bar in my life. And I mean, just 
50 glasses. And Flair just took the, the <laughs> pitcher and he just went boom, boom, all the way down. Now the entire bar is watching, no <laughs> doubt about it. He just turned around with that pitcher and said, ladies, and here they came. And, oh, uh, I won't say how that night ended. I just, it's good um, to be the king. I remember the beginning of the night for sure. <laughs> it might not have needed blue chews, but if it did, you can get them the code dog. That's D O double G. Code dog. We're back. And let's get to some fan questions. We just got a Ooh, few right to? now. Yeah, let's do a couple. Let's do it, man. Zach Like wants to know on average, how many times a day would Jim Cornette cuss? It's a fun question. Oh, my Lord. How many times did he speak? You know what I mean? Like, he, look, Jim cusses. I cuss as well. I try not to on here and try not to in front of my children and grandchildren. But I, you know, some of the times a curse word slips out. Uh, Jim doesn't try so hard to hold it back. Jim lets it lets it go. And Jim is Jim. And Jim had some some iconic... Uh, outrageous <laughs> um, uh, meltdowns that I saw uh, that happened a lot. But look, he wanted he wanted stuff done. He wanted it done his way. And when it wasn't done his way or done successfully, he let people know about it. Um, different people have different leadership styles. That was his. Um, but he also didn't yell at everybody like that. You know what I mean? Like he didn't talk to everybody that way. But but he would talk aggressively to you if he was mad enough, you know what I mean? Uh, but look, that's Jim. And you know, that's Jim that you have people in your family that, you know, Oh, that's crazy. Uncle Carl. Like he talks to himself. Just don't go over there. Yes. He peed his pants. Just don't walk over there. And that's what you do. You just stay away from crazy uncle Carl. And, uh, <laughs> that's not how I'm, how I'm comparing Jim Cornette, but that's Jim. He, if you don't do what's right, you don't do it the best of your ability, he will let you hear about it. And yes, there will be some cuss words in there. And I saw that. I don't have as many hands or, or feet as I can count. Mitchell Barnett is wondering, Road Dog, in your personal opinion, what's SMW's legacy? We actually just asked that. What overall long-lasting impact, if any, did it have on the industry as a whole? And do you have any other great, hilarious Jim Cornette stories you can share? And then finally in his question, do you do a Cornette impersonation? Do you got a Cornette? <laughs> I do not have a corny impersonation. I'm surprised um, by that. Come yeah, on. I, I, I'm, I'm serious. I don't. Uh, I never I never tried to because he's so unique. He's one in a million. Like, I I, uh, I, I don't have any idea. I, I just got sidetracked by another email. These <laughs> guys are killing me with these emails. That just throws you off so much. I know. Like, how, can I, how can I? And then it pops up on my screen right here, too. And it's like, oh. And uh, like somebody's mad. Sorry, Mitchell, your question's ignored. We already no, lost no, no, track. No. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> Mitchell. What was his question again, Ryan? Uh, there were four parts to that question. Okay, okay. <laughs> it was SMW's so, legacy. Yeah, the which legacy. We got I don't know. Let's talk about the legacy for a second, because look, it was very uh, regional. Right. So I don't know what, and I'm sure Jim would have a better. The legacy is is the is the talent that it then produced. That, to that's how I look. I, I see it as a uh, last man standing thing. Like I see Jim as the last territory standing. You know what I mean? And in Smoky Mountain, I don't know what that says, but it's got to say something, right? And 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 
So I don't know what it does to, for the industry because it wasn't a global thing right. until here lately. And people talk about it a lot. Wrestling fans like Smoky Mountain. I just don't know what they would say the legacy would be. And, and like I started to say earlier, Jim has probably thought about this and has a well-thought-out answer that could probably sell me, and I would go, yes, that. Um, but I was so young in the industry, I never thought of it like that. So this is a, a first-time deal. Um, yeah, I think the cast of characters that it that it kind of spit out. Kane, you know what I mean? Al Snow and Head and New Jack. And, yeah, New Jack and and uh, Road Dog to a lesser extent. You know, sometimes I think Jim Cornette, as high strung as he is, might not sleep well. But here's the deal: science tells us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering core body temperature. Temperature-controlled sleep repairs muscle after a hard day's work and improves cognitive function so you can always start your day feeling sharp and alert. Chilly sleep! That makes customizable, climate-controlled sleep solutions and help you improve your entire well-being. I just want to brag a little bit. I have chilly sleep. We have the double-sided chili sleep, so that way I can maintain one temperature, my wife can maintain another temperature. It's the Cube Sleep System. We have the Uller ourselves. It's hydro-powered, temperature-controlled mattress toppers, toppers that fit over our existing mattress to provide our ideal sleep temperature. See, my wife, Big Booty Judy, she likes to sleep, bro, dog, real hot. She wants it real hot. I want it as cold as possible. I'm fat. I got the old cinnamon roll on the, on the waistband. I want it cool. And that's the beauty. The luxury mattress pad keeps our bed at the perfect temperature for each of us for deep sleep. Whether you sleep hot like my wife or cold like myself, chilly sleep. They've got it going on. For an extra layer of comfort, they make the chili blanket. Oh, my gosh. This might be what I get my wife for Christmas. It's the only weighted blanket that can also be paired with a controlled boom unit for the ultimate sweat-free sleep. Oh, my gosh. We love the chili sleep. I've got it. My wife got it literally this is not exaggeration. It has changed our life for the better. Chili Sleep. If you want to get in on this, go to chilisleep.com slash dog, D-O-double-G. You can learn more and save 30% off the purchase of any new Cube or Oodler Sleep System, which is what I have. This offer is available exclusively for O. You didn't know with Road Dog listeners and only for a limited time. That's chili, C H I L I, sleep.com slash D O double G. That way you can take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every day. So at this time in the timeline, Vince Russo is there gaining a bigger voice in the creative process. What do you remember about Russo's role at this time? 
So R- Russo was kind of new then, um, but but he was he was we we knew he was just the editor of the magazine at the time, and and we all knew him because we had been in the magazine and been pick, taking pictures and everything. So it, we knew who he was, but he had just now kind of came into the creative scene. Um, but he was always really nice to me and really professional. We only had real one real dust up, um, and that was later, a lot later. Like I always got along with Vince, and he and we were look, he was the one we were going to 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 pitch you know please let us be a tag team let us be a tag team <laughs> and uh, again it's like hey change it and do this okay well then what oh i don't know i don't know that's the biggest my biggest pet peeve from working on the creative side of things is when a talent comes to you and goes hey uh you know i, I want to work with so and so okay well to figure out a story and get back to me and 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 we'll you know maybe we can kick some ideas around uh yeah, I just want to win the title and then work with so and so. You go like, okay, okay. Then look, that's a that's a strategy. That's a sound business strategy. We all want to win the title. Uh, we just all can't. Um, it, was, so- it was interesting in saying that. It was interesting for me in my position at WWE, learning and evolving on how talent should pitch stuff. Because yeah. a lot of times I have this character and they pitch this character, but then there's no lay it out laid out plan of how the character yeah. actually fits into the program or the show like yeah how the feud actually correlates to the to the content on tv it's good idea but it doesn't work with the current product so right how do you and, actually and it, incorporate? well that that's what a lot of the uh viewers don't understand is all the uh because look everything has bureaucracy right and, and when i say bureaucracy i just mean a process of of going through some things and, and clearing some things and making sure things are okay but if you just come to me and tell me look i'm gonna wear this mask and i'm gonna beat people up backstage uh, okay you know what I mean? Like we get, we get two weeks out of that three weeks tops, maybe take a week off. Now what, you know what I mean? Like, don't just tell me you're going to do that. What, where does it go? What does it, how are we going to get this character out in front of people and, and put you in positions to talk about that character in a way that makes me understand that character. And, you know, because the more I understand it, then the more I can become emotionally invested in it. If, if you're not emotionally invested in in uh and i mean emotionally invested in, in your baby face or your heel or whoever your guy is man it's it's just it's not he's not working you know what i mean if he's if he doesn't have you emotionally invested then then we need to get him talking some more and that look that's the big deal about promos too promos are huge nowadays because it lets people know what my motives are what my what the you know uh am i the good samaritan you know you pass a school bus that's turned over and people will go around it and film it and all kind of crap but some people will stop and run towards that school bus and you know those are little good samaritan actions that a babyface can do on a wrestling show without words too that just show you in his actions oh he's a good guy you know what i mean and so you get but you got to write them into into scenarios where they get the opportunity to show or say that they're a good guy um i don't even know what we were talking about yeah, Ryan. No, so, so we'll bring it back let's talk let's talk about relationship with creative so we're talking about okay. Russo coming in and, and and you know you guys interacted but there wasn't necessarily a friendship at that point right do you think having been in creative yourself and being on both sides talent and creative do you think it's important for talent to be friends with someone that's in creative to maybe help them get some opportunities. So look, speaking, uh, professionally, um, and from a corporate, uh, vantage point, like it's, it's a little, uh, frowned upon to, for the writers to be friends with the talent. Now look that 
happens a great deal because they work with some writers a lot and and uh and so they have their favorite writers i i firmly believed at the time that if i got over if i made a name for myself if i stood out on television they would have no choice but to come to me and go we want to do more with you we want to do promos with you we want to do this you know and so i never for one minute thought about making friends with the guys so that they would put me on tv more but i did think about making my tv time count and then kind of forcing their hand like uh, okay they're going to come to me now um, which, is, which is the phrase undeniable that i always yeah, use yeah yeah, yeah you did so undeniable that yeah. there is no choice but to go with you yeah and that's the deal that's 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 it in a nutshell and and if you're waiting on me the writer to get you over you're going to be waiting a minute because the writer's a writer for a reason. He's not a performer. He's not a WWE superstar. He's not an AEW superstar. He's not a ring of honor superstar, new Japan. Super. He's just a writer who loves wrestling, just like me, just like you, you know? And so, uh, but he can't do it for you. You got to go out there and carry the load and he will uh, steer the ship. You know what I mean? He'll make sure the story's being told correctly uh, in your verbiage, in your promos and stuff, but it's up to you to get over, man. And then, like you said, it's, 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 you use that word a lot, Ryan, undeniable. You use that a lot when talking to talent and that's, look, you got to stand out, get my attention. What are you going to do different? Because everybody can do a hip toss. Everybody can do a drop kick, blah, blah, blah. Show me something. You know what I mean? And look, yeah. I, I, I get it. There's a, there's a different you know, wrestling is, is, and I don't want to, you know, uh, get off too off track here, but wrestling is, is so subjective. Like it's anybody, there's no wrong or right. There's no, uh, you know, how my opinion is valid, just like your opinion is, but we, we're masters of our own destinies. We're, this is, there's no precedence in wrestling. Oh, you can't do that because of this. No, we can make up whatever we want to. We can do whatever we want to do. And it's wild how those opinions work and how, and how extreme and drastic those opinions could be. Because if we survey a hundred people, 50 people could say what they watched was the greatest thing they've ever seen. While the other 50 could say that was the worst thing I've ever seen. And how do you please the whole pie at that point. yeah yeah i mean you you look you can't and that's i found that out the hard way uh when i was writing smackdown you can't you can't please everybody um but but you you can tell i mean look i, I don't think checking the nielsen ratings is uh is a proper way to tell too but you know if you know what's good and what's bad you know what you like and what you don't like when you right get done with a show that you've written or performed on or whatever, you, you know, you know, you know, you know, I don't need to go to Twitter to tell me I screwed up. I know I screwed up. I don't need to go to Twitter to find out, oh, I, the guy didn't win that you want, you people wanted to win. Yeah. That's part of the storyline. <laughs> we're, we're going somewhere with that. Which always blows my mind a little bit. Cause obviously as a fan, I watch and I can get frustrated watching things too, but like so many things, if I'm watching a regular sport, Things don't go the way I want them to go. And I think <laughs> fans get so mad that they don't go how they want them to go. It's like, well, that's kind of how the real world works. Yeah, it's kind of part of the deal. It's by design. Um, and it comes with the program. You know what I mean? Like, hopefully you'll tune in next week and see what, what the next beat of that story is, you know? Let me go off on a tangent based on what you said. What's it like the first time you go over to another country and wrestle in a different style that you're like, whoa, this is this is not the same as I'm used to? Yeah, it was it was eye opening and uh, and eye closing due to swelling a lot. So it was it was really cool. Like I went 
to Memphis uh, from, from, you know, when I was the roadie with Jeff and we, we left in 95, I went to Memphis and I started wrestling and, and, and look, Memphis and wrestling Doug Gilbert's one thing and, and tip Tennessee tiptoe and the old arm ringer and, uh, you know, all these things that are, that are kind of, kind of comedy wrestling. So, so a little bit of that. Um, and then I went to Germany and man, it was a whole new ball of wax where there was a little bit of, a little bit of tussling going on and, 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 uh, you can call a spot. It just might not happen, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so, so it, it was, like I said, eye opening and, uh, and I got beat up and battered a little bit until I learned like, okay, that's how we're going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, if I'm getting beat up, I may as well do some of the beating my dang self. Absolutely. So, so yeah, it was, it was, it was eye opening to go to another place and who, yeah, they started bringing it and I thought, okay, well, here we go. All right. Keeping this, uh, keeping this moving in the right direction. All right. Today though, today we're going to look back at an early part of your career and discuss Smoky Mountain wrestling. Oh, I thought you were going before that. And I was going to say, man, look, <laughs> I was young. Um, yeah. Needed the money. You know, the deal. Sometimes you do. Smoky Mountain <laughs> wrestling. I'll be honest. I was yeah. I'm familiar with it of of knowing Smoky Mountain and the wrestlers that came out of it, but it wasn't my territory growing up, so yep. it's not something that I actually watched a lot. So I'm excited because today is going to be an education for, for for me, and I'm excited about the schooling. And I think the fans will be excited. I'll probably be a little bit more quiet. And let you just talk about a lot of these things. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, but shut me down if I you know, or I'll probably ask you, you what was I talking about. Shut them down. When I say Smoky Mountain Wrestling, what's the first thing that immediately pops into your head? Jim Cornette. Like, it's, a, it's the first thing I think of. It's the last thing I think of before I go to sleep at night, and it's the first thing I think of when I wake up in the morning. Jim Cornette is... No, Jim Cornette. Obviously, Smoky Mountain Wrestling is a promotion formed by James E. Jim Cornette. Cornette's been a controversial figure in wrestling the last few years with his opinions on the current product. What's your relationship like with Cornette today? Um, I think it's good. Look, look, uh, Jim was always great to my family and, and, and was always great to me. And so I respect Jim. I think Jim has a ton of knowledge and a ton of, uh, like historic knowledge in his mind and probably at his house in, in, uh, in tubs or, or, or something, but so we had one little thing where I said uh, wins and losses don't matter, and the internet exploded, and uh, and and it was kind of out of context. But what what I meant was, uh, you know, if if Dean Ambrose is my guy, if if John Moxley's my guy, and John Moxley gets beat on TV one week, John Moxley's still my guy. So that was my that was the context of why I said wins and losses don't matter. Like I'm a Kevin Owens fan. Kevin, you know, he ain't been on a roll of uh, of a winning streak lately, but he's great. He's great on the mic. Every mm -hmm. time he comes out, I want to watch him. So that was the context of, in which I said that. I had to cover that just to get to here. Um, somebody interviewed Jim one time, and it was a guy who was, you know, didn't like me anyway, and was kind of posed the question weird. But Jim was like, "Well, that doesn't, that doesn't." Uh, sound like Bob's boy to me or whatever. And he said something, but it was just Jim talking and it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But, but I, this is the first time he's probably hearing it. Uh, it's the first time I'm just kind of saying it out loud um, because I think it was my ego and, and my pride and stuff that got hurt. And that's, you know, that's superficial anyway. That's, that's no good. Um, so I don't look at, we never had a riff that when he talked he just said that and it rubbed me the wrong way. And so I thought like, hmm. but, um, 
And look, I think Jim's controversial because he says what he means and he means what he says. And he's a very good talker. Um, but you're going to get some four-letter words and some nine-letter words and some, you know what I mean? He's going he's gonna to be colorful in his language. And, and I think that's half the reason. You know what I mean? Like he used to, people used to say horrible things to each other and it wasn't the end of the world. Like I think only lately, like you said, in the last couple of years, he's become controversial because you're not allowed to say anything about anybody anymore. So I think... Uh, Where in theory, he was actually always a controversial figure. And even so, I'm thinking Attitude Era and other times where WWE even brought him back for uh, yeah. quote controversial on-air and, and promos. And give him, remember, they would give him those... Uh, shoot promos. Yeah, style. shoot promos. And I thought, man, that's some of the best stuff I've ever seen. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's look, it's somebody talking trash, but, but it's somebody who's really good at it. Uh, and that's Jim Cornette, man. And like I said, he's got a great mind, always treated my family well. All the love in the world uh, for me, for Jim Cornette. The promotions formed when Jim leaves WCW in 1991. Talk to me about how the wrestling business was much different back then. Holy mackerel. Um, not just the wrestling business, the entire world. Uh, definitely America. Um, but 91, like that's... Like I was in combat in 91, you know what I mean? Like I was 24 years old or 25 years old uh, in 1991. My first son was born in 1991. That's so long ago. Like everything's different. Um, but man, wrestling was very different. Uh, and, and as we'll see on some of the promos tonight, like I, I cut a white meat baby face promo that's laughable. But back then a good guy was a good guy and a bad guy was a bad guy and there weren't so many tweeners you know what i mean right. and also we'll get into the fan base of smoky mountain wrestling uh in the future which is also uh awesome a southern style promotion not named uswa had not been something that was successful after the expansion of the WWF and eventually JCP, Jim Crockett Promotions, turning into WCW. Did you think growing up in the business, you would ever actually see the territories die? So, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't understand what the territories were because I just watched my dad. You know what I mean? Whatever wrestling my father was on, that's the wrestling I watched. So I didn't really, I wasn't, and, I, and look, just because I grew up in the business was my dad never, you know, we weren't allowed to go around the, in the dressing room and stuff like that. I had no idea what was going on. Well, I was terribly sad when all of my brothers got to break in in Southeastern or Continental and, and that was no longer there for me. However, that was my reality was I was, I was coming into the business when all that was happening. And so did I have a match in 1989 and, and a couple in 1990 and a you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I was in the business then, but I wasn't a full-time uh, professional wrestler forward slash sports entertainer at this time. And even prior to that, I didn't know what, what went on behind the scenes. I just knew my dad was a wrestler and I wanted to do that too. Um, and by the time I got in there and running uh, full speed, the territories were gone, you know, and, and do I wish they were here? Heck yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to work. And look, I got to work in, in, in Memphis for USWA. You mentioned their name. I got to work there. I got to work a lot of independent shows, but, but I would love to have gone to Oregon or, you know what I mean? And got to travel around and do six month deals when I was young, that would have been cool. 
you talked about earlier the fan base. So Mick Foley in his book said Smoky Mountain was old-time fans who still believed in good guys and bad guys and to whom cheating was still reason to get upset. Is Is this an accurate statement? It's right on. It's right on the money. And look, for me, uh, when I wrestled in Canada and when I wrestled in Smoky Mountain, the fan base is very similar. And, and, and I'm not the only one who's, who's kind of thought that before. But, but like Southern wrestling fans and Canadian wrestling fans remind me a lot of, of each other. Um, they just like their wrestling and they, don't, they like to get caught up in it and it's okay. Um, and they don't have to explain themselves to anybody. Um, but yeah, they have a strong fan base. And, and to Mick's point, they believe they didn't look. They probably didn't believe that it was real, but they believed if you screwed their good guy or their baby face, they were going to get mad about it, and they were going to stand up and they're going to yell at you. And you know what I mean? And that's man, that's good old fashioned wrestling right there. With definitive baby faces and heels before shades of gray, you take on Cornette in singles matches, getting the victory. Is this when you really started to learn how to gaga? We, we, we saw the baby bonnet match. Is this where you get your education in some comedy wrestling? Well, look, I, I came up in the South with a lot of Southern wrestling, so I've seen my share of comedy wrestling. But, but, but this was my first foray into it, and, uh, and it... it it did what we you call Gaga. We kind of called Shakespeare, and it's just kind of working the people and and getting the most out of every little thing you can. And so, yeah, this was my first foray into experiencing that. Uh, but like I said, I'd seen that uh, a bunch growing up in my in my life. What do you think the legacy of Smoky Mountain Wrestling is? Hmm. Man, I don't know. Look, I'd like to think it was something positive, and and, and what a cast of characters you rattled off earlier. Uh, all those big talents that came through there. I, look, I think it's a, whether it closed or not, I think it was a successful territory in a time where territories were all dead. Um, and, and I guess you could, your, your uh, description of, or your definition of successful is debatable, but I think it was. It tried to do something that was no longer being done and that, that kind of had been squashed out. And that was the territories. And, Cornette had a little money and had the guts and said, let's try to do this again and see if we can't make it work. And he made it work for a little while. It just wasn't sustainable because of the way the world was changing. Any bad experiences while there? No. No, I, I honestly didn't have any. Like, I, everything was gravy. And uh, Any yeah, favorite man, was, memories we haven't talked about? Um, let me think. Oh, look, so we, you know, I was young, and we, you can imagine, in, uh, in that part of the world, we partied. And so I won't, I won't go into too much detail, but the Rock and Roll Express, uh, Ricky Morton remembers a few things in Johnson City, Tennessee. Uh, there, were, there were some great times. Um, but look, most of them were in the ring. Um, Does it or, rhyme with your friend Georgie? It, no, but it does rhyme with Enos. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Elvis the Pelvis had a brother named Enos. Uh, he, he did. So explain the frustration from that moment to, to that night when you're home and then the next morning when you go, did I really just do that? Yeah, it was a look, it was a little bit of a of a wake up the next morning like, okay, what now? So so we were kinda in I wasn't. Jeff was kind of in talks. It's okay. What are we going to do here? How are we going to salvage this? Um, 
they obviously didn't didn't answer anything. And and in that period of time, Bill Watts came in for just a moment to like do uh like Jim Ross's old job or whatever, talent relations, you know, and Bill was a no-nonsense guy. And he said, they walked out, screw them. We ain't bringing them back, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's, but, but so he was there for a while. We weren't going back while he was there. Uh, that's for sure. Um, and I, you know, that's right. We were, Jeff was very professional. I was unprofessional. I just walked out on him for no reason and didn't say anything. Jeff had been talking with them for weeks about all this and, and kind of knew, hey, this is where I draw the line. Um, so again, just a, just a young rookie mistake. Uh, loyal to the to a fault and and look i'm still really good friends with jeff jarrett and he takes care of me and he has taken care of me um ever since so i don't think that was a bad move i don't think it was it was a mistake as far as my my professional career goes at the time but as far as like the friendship and the relationship that jeff and i have now i'd quit with him every day of the week did you consult with your family at all that you were going to do this, or was this a shock to them? No, yeah, it was a shock to them. My dad called me and told me I was a dumbass. Um, and, and he was right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It was just young and dumb, man. And I, this is what, I, it's what we're doing, so let's do it. So and, what's, and that's as far as I thought about it, too, so, by the way. So, so what's the plan? Because you walk out, but technically you're still probably locked up under a contract, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure, until they sent me the release. You know, they sent us, <laughs> wired us both releases. Like, So Jeff went to WCW. I started working in Memphis uh, for, for Jeff's dad. Um, and I started going overseas to Germany and doing a lot of, you know, so really starting to hone my craft and starting to learn what I'm what I'm supposed to be doing in there. And I did that in Memphis. So, so while it wasn't a great uh, decision, business decision, I kind of needed to do that. It was kind of the path I needed to take so I could learn, you know, more about what I was doing in there. Um, and, and again, hone my craft a little bit. You brought up the hot tub earlier in the show. Bruce Pritchard has told the story that Jerry Lawler flagged him down on the road after the show and that Lawler had heard from Jerry Jarrett that you guys were all just drinking wine in the hot tub and that you and Jeff <laughs> were going to head to WCW. What do you know about all that this? Was, that was the Roma. Well, look, I, that's that's exactly what happened we went right to jeff's house Jeff's dad's house and sat in that sat in that hot tub it got screwed up um screwed up more than i already was probably but that's just that's just where we were at at the time man yeah that's that's true jerry probably told king king told everybody and and there we were so so but look that's what we did it wasn't like we were trying to hide it from anybody we walked out on them you're booked almost immediately to return to Smoky Mountain Wrestling as Brian Armstrong. Do you reach out to Cornette, or does he reach out to you? Yeah, but, but look, Dad and Scott and them were going back and forth, so it was kind of an easy deal. Like, hey, Brian's available. You want to go work for him? And that's that was kind of then we started doing the thing with the Smoky Mountain versus the USWA. It was almost like an invasion angle of East Tennessee versus West Tennessee, you know. Um, and it actually worked out really well, and I had a great time doing all that. I didn't get rich, but I made I paid the bills and uh, and learned how to do it and paid my dues a little bit. You know, I loved working in Memphis, man. We had some great friends there. Got some great friends there still. Met my wife there. A lot of good things happened during that period of time. So had I not done that, my life would be very different, and I don't know in a in a good way. So every time you start thinking about the regrets of what would have been if I didn't and where would have the career gone, your life took the trajectory and the path that was meant to be because exactly. things worked out real great for you. Yeah. 
in that situation, did you think that you would ever go back back then, or was that was it? It was done. Yeah, look, I kind of thought it was done because I thought, well, there's a bridge burnt, but but I'll I'll work for WCW then. You know what I mean? Like I just kind of thought, oh, well, I'll go down there, and and that that opportunity never came about. Uh, so. I, look, I did exactly what I needed to do. I, I thought at the time I should leave with Jeff, so I did. Um, it was it was a, a bad decision in retrospect, but heck, I guess we've all made those, you know. What do you think's the biggest mi- uh, misconception about you walking out? I guess that I was unhappy creatively because we both walked, um, but I... I was on top of the world and, and apparently, and this is what I've been told that we were going to have a triple threat, uh, me versus Jeff versus Shawn Michaels at the next pay-per-view for the intercontinental title. And, uh, and I quit instead of going and do having that match. You know what I mean? Good Lord. I, Good you know, Lord you live indeed. and learn, man. You live and learn. Anything else you want to get off your chest about that time and, and, and just let the people know are here. Well, I mean, it was just, you know, I was just having fun living the rock and roll lifestyle high on drugs all the time in main events just given to me opportunities just given to me i was entitled i wasn't grateful uh and so i you know i would just say like try to live in the moment and try to be thankful for the opportunities that are given to you every day uh if we look for them and so I just had to kind of change my perspective. And that's what happened when I got sober was like the glass is not uh, half empty anymore. It's half full now to change my perspective. How do I look at things? I don't look at things so negatively anymore. It's, it's okay. This is going to, everything's going to be okay. Even if it doesn't turn out perfect or how I want it to, everything's still going to be okay. Um, and especially this was wrestling. I learned a lesson about uh, professionalism and how to conduct yourself as a, a WWE superstar or you know what I mean like I those were all lessons that I learned the hard way uh, through this night so yeah I, I don't want to get anything off my chest but I do want you guys uh, you know to, to think about that think about being present in the moment man no matter what your job is no matter what you're doing think about the things that you're thankful for the things that are most important in your life and just work whistle while you work dog and think about the the blessings you uh, have bestowed on you so ryan i feel like we need to wrap this up b yeah yeah i mean with that i, I think we gotta go get a couple well, quick questions well, from the well. dog pound from the fans in there all right let's, let's go to a couple questions and we'll call it a day today uh, Chad Gomillion82 wants to know, did you ever feel after leaving, what the hell did I just do, or is that not something at the time that crossed your mind? And then if you can go back, what might have you done differently, or would you have still left? Yeah. Look, I think I would have probably still left just because in my mind, as wrong as this was, staying with Jeff and leaving was the right thing to do. Um, I know now that for me, professionally, that was not the right decision to make, but personally at the time, and... I mean, I don't regret it because, like we just said, a lot of great things came to me uh, because of the path I took. Now, what was the question exactly, Ryan? I'm sorry. I missed it. Wouldn't you have done any changes? I think oh, we, yeah, we yeah, covered no, that no, as no. we were talking. And, and I think we made the way, a few Chad, of these. Chad Gomillion is my Orkin man, by the way. Oh, a little <laughs> pest control. A little pest control. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's the, the crabs. He got rid of those, too. <laughs> With the little old kidding. bay. I used some shampoo for that. <laughs> You move on to Italy and working in Bologna and Trieste before moving on to Germany in front of 10,000 fans. It's baloney, you moron.
How hot was business in Europe at the time, man? We talk about the energy of the fan base. How good is business? Yeah, business was good. Uh, business was looking. Business is always good over there. It really is. Like it's, it's. Uh, they're they're not they're not spoiled. They they want to see it and they come out and they and they pop for it. And so I don't know, man. It's they're just always a really good crowd uh, internationally. And so let's go business, to a- business was booming. Yeah, let's go to a clip from Germany and Mannheim where you're back with Seamus in this one. And once again, the crowds are just super hot throughout. I mean, your European crowd, UK crowd, all of those shows. I remember watching, I think it was Jason Jordan and Chad Gable, American Alpha versus Blake and Murphy for the NXT Tag Team Championships. And I think the crowd chanted for 14 straight <laughs> minutes before they ever locked up. I mean, the the endurance of the crowd. <laughs> yeah, if nothing else, the, the stamina. And then the creativity of the chance. I mean, you get hot crowds in America and you get awesome pops and energy and then they're cheering and yelling and screaming. But in Europe and in the UK, we're talking songs and melting <laughs> and, and just that- Yeah, lullabies and all kind of stuff. Yeah, they are they are very creative and they will go. Um and look, that's Truth be told, there's nothing better than like a uh, a good raw over there when the crowd really gets riled up um, because then you kind of find out, okay, who are they emotionally invested in? Who do they want to yell at and, and anger or who do they want to support? And, and man, they don't mind doing it. And so, yeah, it's always fun. It's always a real uh, energy uh, that's, you know what I mean? It's, you can feel that energy out there. You finished the tour in Cologne, Germany with the same match Seamus against with Seamus against the shield. And then it's the end of the run. Did you know Cologne moron? Man, I can't <laughs> wrong. And I'm going to, it's crazy. Did um, you know that was going to be it for the European tour? That was going to be it. Or, oh, where are we at in your mindset at this point? So, yeah, I was, uh, I was getting shots in my knees. It was like friggin' North Dallas 40 uh, in the training room, uh, minus the cocaine on this run. But uh, but look, I, I was I was feeling it for dang sure, mm-hmm. physically in my body, but mentally too. Um, so I, I kind of was like, okay, are we good now? Can we? <laughs> um, but we'll see, we'll see what what uh, the future holds as we continue. Absolutely. Knowing that the next Raw that's coming up the next day, I think might be that first monumental beginning of of what became the Monday Night Raw after Mania. That's like the biggest show of the year on TV <laughs> yeah. in, in the Raw aspect, because that's when we really started seeing the defections and the changing tide of the Monday Night Wars. And let's get into Sean Waldman at that point, because it was right before Mania that he got his release from WCW. What was your relationship like with Sean during that time? It was great. Look, me and I mentioned early on, I got three great friends. Uh, I should have said four because, and I thought about that on the drive home after the last podcast, because Sean Waltman's the other one. Um, me and Sean, it was like, he's from Minnesota. I'm from Georgia. It was like, we were, you know, t- t- two peas in a pod, man. We got along from the minute we met, we get along that way today. Um, 
I saw him at WrestleCon and hugged his neck. Man, it's always great to see him. We pick up right where we left off every time. He's that kind of friend. And uh, so, yeah, I had a great relationship with him and was really, because he, he was one, two, three kid and I was the roadie. And we we actually, two year or maybe three years before that pay-per-view we just watched, me and him had a deal uh, in Hartford, Connecticut, where we were on the outside for that Intercontinental title match between Jeff Jarrett and Razor Ramon. And so we got into it. And so, yeah, we've known each other forever. We worked at In Your House 95. We, Our relationship was great. And so we were excited to have him come in. And uh, I think it was just the icing on the cake, you know. Before we get into that raw and the big moment we're all waiting for, let's take another quick break. And we'll come back with the formation and creation of one of the most influential groups in the history of professional wrestling and the epitome of sports entertainment. We got some more questions coming from adfreeshows.com. This one coming from top guy Michael McLanahan. And he wants to know, in Road Dog's opinion, how critical was Sean Waltman's post-WrestleMania debut to the rebranding of DX? And had Sean Waltman not been available? Who would you have liked to have seen take Sean's spot in DX? Man, that's a great question. I, look, I do think Sean uh, coming, Sean Waltman coming, perfect. It made it perfect. Hunter's the new leader. Here we are. Uh, and here's our new guy that we're adding. And it was a, it was not only did he jump ship, but he, here he comes out. So there's a pop already because you know, the guy, you love the guy. Then he was on the other show last week or two weeks ago. And now he's on our show and it is the Monday after mania. So yeah, I think him being here, uh, made a huge deal and, uh, was the, like the last final straw in the cementing of holy crap, this new faction is going to be something else. Um, as far as who I would have have been in there, man. There's just nobody else. And I thought about this and when I saw it, nobody else would have fit. I mean, that's just the truth. Like it would have kiddo fit like a hand in a glove. You know what I mean? It was just meant to be. Um, so I don't know. I don't think too much. Like I, it would make me, it would make me beg the question, who would you as a viewer like to see instead of X-Pac? Was there somebody there in WWE at the time? Was it somebody in w, uh, WCW that could have jumped over? Like, because to me, it was, I don't know, I never thought about anybody it being anybody else. It's, it's kiddo. Like, that's who it is, and that's the, that's the right answer. Look, Sean Waltman leaving WCW was a risky proposition. You know what's not risky? Car Shield. That's right. This episode is brought to you by Car Shield, who makes it easy and affordable per to protect our cars from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. How about this? If you want to talk about rankings, CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before, whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles. Like myself, they can take care of you. CarShield, buddy, you've heard Ryan Katz, our buddy Smiley. He talked about it. He wishes he had it a month before. His car broke down. He broke down and paid over $2,500 in maintenance and repairs. But guess what? Ryan's loss is your game because now we all know, boom, Car Shield can pass the savings on to you. Let me tell you about how simple it is to get your car fixed with Car Shield. If you need and when you need a repair, you choose the mechanic and CarShield's administrators 
handle the rest of it. Okay. That's it. You don't have to deal with paperwork or headaches. You're taken care of. Same goes for your car. It breaks down. You're stuck on the side of the road. Boom. Plans through car shield also includes coast to coast roadside assistance. Easy for me to say. Car shield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost. Boom to you. Get coverage today and you'll lock in your price now and it will never go up. Do you hear that? Road dog listeners, it's never going to go up if you lock it in today. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle. Car Shield, it helps to protect mine, Ryan Smiley Cats, and Road Dog's wallet from expensive car repairs, and they'll do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's right. That's carshield.com slash podcast. Deductible may apply. Uh, all right. So Sean's not at the road on this uh, at this time due to his injury. Uh, was this like Hunter and China were now put with you guys? And are there conversations between all of you of what this could be like if you guys were officially members? Well, you know, so I don't remember if it was right before Sean's uh, injury, but they had called us aside and said, hey, man, what do you what do you think about this? And we were like, yeah, well, whatever, we'll let you know. And then like we ran around the corner and did front handsprings. <laughs> but uh, but it, it was like they came to us. And so so we were like, we had an inkling. I got to cut we, you off because you didn't do a front handspring. No, no, you're right. I didn't. I did. It was a, it was a round off. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sorry. It was a round off and I stuck the landing. Um, crap. I forgot. I know. I just, I just, you were so excited. You were playing it cool to their face. Yes. Yes. And and so, so we had an inkling that we were going to be with them. We just didn't really know what, um, not long after that we heard, okay, Sean's out for a while. Um, that's when things really sped up. You know what I mean? That's when it was like, okay, here we go. We bring X-Pac in. We do that. You know what I mean? Let's do the whole deal. And so it was off and running, man. We were, there was an uptick in pay. There was an uptick in uh seat on the yep. airplane. There was an uptick in uh, the uh, quality of weed I was buying. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So Raw is War, February 2nd, 1998. And it's legendary. Cactus Jack versus Chainsaw Charlie takes on each other, even though they're a tag team. <laughs> and these two crazy bastards who like fighting each other just take it to each other until Cactus puts Charlie into a dumpster, climbs the Titan drum, which we just saw, drops an elbow on him, and out of nowhere, you and Billy come out. Closing the dumpster. Here oh, you come. Sneaking on out. We saw and then there yeah, it is. We close the dumpster. We tie them shut. Another interesting story. I'll tell you in a minute about this dumpster. We tied them shut in there. If you're not, uh, if you're just listening and then we are going to set sail and see if this thing will fly. Yeah. Sending them on a journey. <laughs> Moving it right here. Rolling them. Here it goes. Oh, you're taking this a, is a journey into sound. Where are we going to push him? 
Let's push. So I think it's, as an audience, are we thinking it's going to come down the ramp? Yeah, right yeah, 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 for sure. We pointed down the ramp, uh, like we were going to roll it down the ramp and into the ring. Then we walk over to the side. Oh, there's what's over here. Well, let's look over here and see what's over here on this side. Oh, this side's perfect. There's some tables it can crush um, that are set up there weirdly with some cords. <laughs> wrapped around <laughs> a random black, you know, yeah table. there's a random black table with a black here we go table clock. here we go we're gonna push it off now oh and it just kind of teeters over so um no there were there were human beings in there my god my god he's got a family um and they do have families interesting thing is uh you know, Mick was all upset about because they saw the peanuts or whatever, the packing peanuts in there. Yeah. Um, look, you still dove off a thing down into a dumpster, dude. <laughs> um, and so, but to before they did this, guess who got in that thing and took that ride first? Who, who are you going to tell me? Vince McMahon. Get out of here. No way. No way. I'm not getting out of here. I mean, <laughs> I am in my daughter's house and her daughter's playroom because my Wi-Fi sucks at my house, but I'm not getting out of here. <laughs> so I'm not getting out of here. You're telling me in rehearsals, Vince gets in and just takes the ride off the stage. Yes. And then gets out and says, hey, not so bad. What, yeah. what does he say? Yeah. What is hey, that, but that's, dude, he's done that so many times. The zip line with Shawn Michaels, the, the, uh, you know, jumping off of stuff onto, uh, onto a crash pad. He's done that so many times to show, I'm not asking you to do something that I wouldn't do myself. Um, you know, you can think what you want to about him, man, but he's a, he's a man's man and he's an interesting man. You know what I mean? Yeah. He took that before, but the, so this the, being sold is huge. I mean, there's concern. You got the locker room clearing out, Sonny's show crying. There's heels and baby faces together. Everyone's checking on cactus and Charlie. Uh, I, I, I mean, th this is a big moment on television at this point. Yeah, and it was and it was treated as such too. Like it literally shut the show down. You know what I mean? And there you see everybody out there, Sergeant Slaughter, the officials, or everybody. And so, uh, and, and then you see Vince here in a minute, and he's we're talking to him like, "Look, we just we're just playing around, man. We didn't mean to hurt nobody." <laughs> do, you, uh, do you remember whose idea this was to come up with doing this type of big dumpster thing? I, I do not, but I for some reason. I want to say that Mick had something to do with it. You know what I mean? Pitching it or, or something. And I, and I could be wrong about that. Um, but like what, what, uh, what I remember most about this part right here was that everybody came out there and kind of surrounded us and then really started kind of like Bradshaw really reached over the pile and like smacked me in the head and like some people started kind of getting rough and it kind of made it like real in a, like nobody was punching anybody in the face or pulling anybody's eyes out, but it was like, hey, there's some shoving and and pushing and pie facing going on, you know, and it made it even more legit. And uh, and I just remember how like wound up I was at the end of that. I wanted to fight, you know what I mean? <laughs> like coming out of a a ninja movie. And those are those moments that, as an audience, you want to feel well, that moment right there was real. That and all yeah, of a sudden, yeah, yeah, yeah. I showed, I showed up at a wrestling show. I showed up at a wrestling show, and a real catastrophe happened. You know what I mean? A real disaster. Yeah. Um, and it and it. The only thing, and we're going to touch on this in a second because I perused the notes. But uh, but but the only thing is, at the end of this show, they came back. You know what I mean? Right? They rode like. Right. Uh, uh, 
Gir- hospital <laughs> gurney and stuff. And, and it was just like, oh. And and I remember Mick and uh uh Terry didn't didn't really care, but Mick was like, oh, we don't it just throws it away. You know what I mean? We're just coming back and it was but you know, it all works, man. It doesn't matter. I was we were probably the only ones felt that, you know. <laughs> At this point, you and Hunter and Sean are so tied together. Are you kind of surprised that they haven't pulled the trigger yet? Yeah, but I do. Again, I think people knew where we were going, so we didn't have to rush. You know what I mean? A lot of the times you go like, oh, we're there. Oh, okay. Well, then what do you do for the next four weeks of television that we have to get to a pay-per-view? Or what do we do for the, if it's six weeks and you got a couple weeks to play before you can get into that serious story uh, for the pay-per-view? So we, we were just in that mode and having a good time doing it. But, but yeah, man, they were, we were moving fast. So it seemed like they wanted to pull the trigger. Because uh, I think it was on uh, on the ninth. Uh, where am I at? Uh, I just lost my spot of what I was thinking. On February 9th, they actually go. introduced yourself as as the newest members of DX. Yeah. How come this didn't get followed up on? Do you know why it kind of fell apart? I I, I don't. Uh, and I think it all had to do with Sean's injury. Where look, you have plans and you have you know. Uh, we make plans and God laughs. You know what I mean? That's the way it is. You, you book a thing and nine times out of 10, like, Oh, he got hurt. She got, she broke her arm, whatever. You know what I mean? And stuff happens and you got to kind of work on the fly. And, uh, I'd also add that a lot of times it comes up better when you're in a crunch, it makes you a little more creative. You got to come up with chicken salad to make out of that chicken crap. And so when he got injured, I think everything kind of went into hyperdrive, you know? At no- he was active, and you can bet when he arrived from the airport, he was right back at the performance center <laughs> in that gym and hurling weights quickly. Uh, in Poplar Bluff, Springfield, and Cape Girardeau, the Outlaws get wins over the Road Scholars. As you mentioned, they had been broken up on TV. So at that point, if they've broken up on TV, why does the card not get rearranged on the live events? And why are you still wrestling them as a team? Does that get confusing for them as talent trying to create something and get themselves over? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it does. Uh on a personal level, like they want something to sink their teeth into. And now you broke them up and they were like, Oh, that's what we were going to do. And then you put them back together the next week on a, on a live event. But you know, the live events are made up a a way in advance and they're booked way out in advance. So you want to try to change them as little as possible. And also I don't think, you know, using them one more time on a live event loop and, and, and using us and, and getting over, it's not like the main event of the show. You know what I mean? So you didn't change, uh, you know, a title match or anything. It was just a underneath card entertaining match that, that had some, you know, entertaining stuff in it. Um, and like I said, it was card subject to change. Sometimes that happens, but yeah, I, I would imagine creatively it would get frustrating being done that way but look you get done that way once or twice you don't get done that way all the time i'll just keep pushing poking irritating and building your frustration towards me as i ask these kinds of questions the the lack of continuity with tv storylines hurt the live event business so i don't look i don't think it hurt the live event business i think uh America where it's at uh, domestically speaking, and we're going to get to overseas, I would imagine here a little while, but uh, domestically speaking, like people don't go out as much, especially lately. You know what I mean? They stopped to get, so there's a lot of bit business is hard. Uh, but, but to your question, I don't think it really bothers people that much. Um, 
because I think a lot of people that show up in these towns don't watch, you know, six or seven hours of, of WWE wrestling every week. Right. They just know the circus is coming to town and I'm going to take my kids to see it. And, and in some of these cities that we go to, they don't have, you know, circus don't happen no more. That ain't no, <laughs> the Wrigley brothers is done. And so we're, so, so WWE, AEW, ring of honor, you know, new Japan, all, all these guys that travel and, and, and do live events like they're out there, uh, trying to create, trying to create a business, but it's, it's hard. Like I said, no, nobody, you know, you talk about 10,000 people in the arena like that. I don't know if that still happens. I hadn't been out there in a while. So, so it was just a different time, you know? So I don't generally quote the observer too much, but I'm curious on this one from the April 29th, 2013 the observer. Smackdown opened in Glasgow main event saw Seamus and Billy Gunn and road dog beat the shield via DQ. Really telling not only that the outlaws who weren't even main eventers very often in their primes and a dozen years after come back and headline now. The finish saw a DQ when they triple team Sheamus. They were about to give Sheamus the triple team power bomb when the outlaws jumped into the ring with chairs. Gunn gave Rollins a famouser. Sheamus gave him a brogue kick and the shield left. Are you surprised you're in the main event or, you, or, or do you take what Meltzer is saying? Uh, as an insult to the crew at the time. No, I think, look, I think it was more to his take has, has been, and I don't know if, if me and him ever had a run in or if what, what, but his take has always seemed to be negative towards us a little bit. And I, and look, maybe it is because we were old guys coming back and working with new guys and, and beating them and stuff. And maybe he's not, he's not happy about that. And And that's okay. I, you know, opinions uh they're like a-holes everybody's got them and they all stink uh but but he he just everything you read out of the observer just seems to have a negative slant and so it seems like it's somebody in there don't like me and billy or they don't like the fact that we're on their stealing spotlight where a younger guy should and, and that's a valid that's a valid point you know what i mean if that's your point uh but yeah it just feels like they're always burying us um because we were main eventers you yep. know what i mean like uh it was kind of dumbfounded me when i read that in the notes that he said like they were more than main eventers back then like okay okay yeah. uncle dave billy what what do you remember about like the first time we ever stayed in a hotel room together well we decided that hey Let's travel this one time, see how the you know, see how we are out because we know how we are in the ring. In the ring. And we know we know what we're doing. So let's let's take it outside. Let's see where this relationship can really go. Yeah. Yeah. And that means we're gonna stay in the same hotel room. We're gonna save a little money. We'll get up, I'll go to the gym and you'll do whatever it is that you do. And we'll see how this works. No, usually so I would just walk the around the parking lot and smoke a joint. Yeah. So we'll <laughs> No, no, no. I'm going to stay out here. You go in there. I'll be out here. <laughs> yeah, I would drop you off at the gym sometimes. So, so we go in this hotel. We check in. We all go to sleep. Well, one of us goes to sleep. And then the other one, which is me, wakes up in the middle of the night to see his partner being in the air conditioner. <laughs> the toilet was so far away. It was like this room was like yeah. It was if like you a, had to roll on the other side was the bathroom. Roll on the other side is the air conditioner. <laughs> it was 
Look, if I rolled the one way to pee, I would have peed on you. So they what I was trying the humidifier up at the front desk. He was trying to so that keep was his our nose first and, dry. Our first and only rooming together. And I went, ah, yeah. this might not be a thing. Let's just <laughs> yeah. let's keep it all in the ring. Hey, and tr truth be told, and and look, I can't tell you how much I love you enough. <laughs> and that's just a true story. That's just how I feel in my heart. I got, uh, you know. Uh, Look, the other day we did a we did a, a panel and the guy we played the dating game and thank God they never got to mine because I couldn't have followed Billy. They asked Billy all these personal questions about me for real. And he literally nailed them all. And I thought, like, I don't know if he was guessing. I don't know if he remembers stuff, but he nailed it all. And I was just like, man. Uh, he really does care about me, but, but I didn't realize that until I was like 10 years sober and we've had some conversations and, and I say yep. this often, Billy, me and you grew up together and, and yep. I know you and Bart did too, in a way, and you and, and me did, but Wyatt Earp's my friend. Well, hell, I got lots of friends, doc. I don't, you I know don't. what I mean? That's, that's where I'm at. I, I got few friends we, and you're one we of went them. Through, like we went through something and then I tell people this all the time. Like I, I am the same. I'm a recovering addict, alcoholic, everything you can imagine. But they asked me, do I have regrets about that? In a sense, no, because what, what I did then has gotten me to the place that I am today. Amen. And I am amazing yeah like i feel if i don't go through that really hard crappy ruining everything in my life life that, yeah. I could possibly, that i could possibly ruin because my story isn't that much different than brian's because i ruined everything and it took me just as long to to get all those relationships back in order as it did brian so i think the stuff that me and you went through People don't go through, yeah. but we like even through those times. And then when you got sober and I decided to wait a little longer before to do what you did. You didn't wait too much longer though. No, but it was, it was never, it was never judgment. It was just, Hey, if you need me, I'm here. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah, not, yeah. like I'm not going to, I'm not like he's clean. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to coddle you in any way, but if you need me, I'm here. And, yeah. and I feel We've always been there for each other and we know what each other has gone through. And we've, we're at a point in our lives where we're, I'm so good. Like, I can't even say it enough. My yeah. life is so good now, but if it wasn't for that, I don't think my life would be as good as it, as it is. Yeah. That's a, that's because a, I know, because I know how bad it can be. <laughs> yeah. That's a look, that's a victory speech, man. That's a, that's a survivor and because no. you're right. Not everybody goes through that, but no. even those that go through it, don't have somebody that they really care about, go through it with them. And so yeah. that's, what's been really cool about our dynamic. But we talked earlier about the dynamic between the tag team and, and you're right. Uh, we didn't say stuff. We just knew where everybody was going to be and where you were going to be and where I was going to be. And we didn't have to talk a lot. Um, no. But then, then we found out like, oh, we are very different. Maybe you should ride with people that go to the gym a lot. And I'll ride with people that smoke weed and don't go to the gym a lot. And then we'll meet at the building and come up with it, go, yeah. go through our stuff. And so that we, it went that way for a while. But you fast forward to right now, I could not imagine. I can imagine getting my own room <laughs> and you getting your own room. But I could not imagine not riding with you now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just can't fathom, couldn't fathom that today. 
Yeah, no, me neither. I mean, it's just it's just where we're at. I mean, maybe we should it's get like when we do stuff together. It's uh, like it's still, it's amazing. Like people, it's magic. We, we can't like we can't get people to get away from us. But that's <laughs> but that's just us. Like that's what we do. I make uh, fun of him. He makes fun of me. We yeah. have fun. We mm-hmm. make sure we still. We're such people. People that want to make sure that it's like the it's a new age outlaw experience. Yes. So like, this is the behavior we would see every weekend if you guys are doing a signing, just seeing oh you guys God. interacting no. like that. Oh, it's yes. Times, yes. This is kind of like dialed down just because I don't really <laughs> want to be like out, out of control on your show. Yeah. Like, we're even more. And it's and it's a lot of fun because we're still we still want people to never walk away from us going, Well, that was a disappointment. And so we can't be the new age outlaws. We can't we can't be what we once were. So it's hard to be once you once were, you know what I mean? <laughs> like that it's uh it was very difficult. So I had a lot of concerns, but I also uh I was getting paid. You know what I mean? I was getting a weekly paycheck and 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 doing all right and paying my bills and that's all I was trying to do at this point. Uh keep enough for the uh you know, keep keep up my enough wrestling for my drug habit, you know, <laughs> and pay and pay the house notes. I hate to laugh because I know you don't say that in jest. Yeah. You say that serious in this. That's serious. And that's why, look, that's why I want to normalize talk like that. Normalize talk about uh, men having anxiety, men having fears. And, and you know what I mean? That should be normalized. That's what we, sh- we should be talking about. There's a lot of mental health stuff going on that we're finding out later in life. And, and even for an old dog like me, um, you can teach me new tricks and I can learn as if, if I can learn about this stuff, I can be conscious of it and make moves to try to better myself, you know? And that's, so that's, I know I, you say you, you, you know, you don't, you don't like to laugh, but it's with me, it's the truth. It's, it's, it's what I did, man. It's what I did. And while I did all this and I was high all the time, it's not that I'm trying to negate responsibility for any of this, whether, cre- whether creative or, or, uh, you know, professionally or per- personally, I'm not trying to negate my responsibility for any of this. What everything I did is mine and I will own that. Uh, and I will make the, re- you know, the rest of my days trying to make up for that. Um, but thank you for bringing up. It's not all bad. I cut some good promos down there. <laughs> all right. What were some of the reasons for your unhappiness towards WWE? Obviously they released you, but w- w- were there specific things that you felt you were, you were unjustly treated, that, that you were unjustly treated or, or wrongfully accused is the wrong word, but like, yeah, I know what you're saying. And, and the truth be told, Ryan, is it, um, it would be sexier if I told you, yeah, they did this to me and they did that to me. What, what they did for me was they provided a great living for my family. And they, you know what I mean? They, they always, took care of me at every, uh, stop at every problem at, you know, around every corner. I I was, I was a drama king because I was on drugs and they took care of me a great deal. And then I became a liability. And so they were like, okay, gotta let you go. Talking about main event players and top guys. Let's talk about the top guys in grilling and also sponsors of this podcast, rec tech. Dog, you're a fan of Rectech and their wood pellet grills, right? Can you tell us you, about Rectech? You ain't lying. Let me tell you about Rectech, an amazing company that offers wood pellet grills fueled by all natural hardwood pellets, along with other outdoor lifestyle products such as coolers, apparel, grill accessories, and more. Look, with grills ranging from $399 to $3,000, Rectech has grills for every lifestyle and every budget with a key focus on flavor 
convenience, and versatility. Their factory direct pricing eliminates the middleman and all grills ship free. Plus, all Rectech pellet grills are made with high-quality stainless steel and are built to last a lifetime. The RT700 comes with a 40-pound pellet hopper, 702 square inches of cooking space, the PID Wi-Fi controller, and a six-year bumper-to-bumper warranty. You can bake, smoke, sear, grill, and even dehydrate on the grill, all with the push of a button. And that's why those in the know choose Rectech. So it's time to toss that tasteless gas grill messy charcoal grill, or even that overhyped brand name grill aside and join an elite wood pellet grilling family. By focusing on flavor, convenience, and versatility, Rectech sets the new standard in grilling. Visit Rectech.com. That's R-E-C-T-E-Q.com. Use the code BJAMES to get 5% off site-wide. That's 5% off their top-notch wood pellet grills, one-of-a-kind Rectech icer coolers, chef-tested rubs and sauces, accessories, merchandise, Everything at 5% off. That's rectech.com and use the code BJAMES. No, you're exactly where we need to be because this is what we want to hear. I mean, this is a difficult time in your life and you're going through changes. And now you're in this storyline where you're going to just start poking the bear, pushing buttons, getting under the skin of people that, that were your friends are your associates, former bosses. I mean, through anything, you're in the business. You always hear don't burn bridges, but like yeah. you, you guys are throwing gasoline voluntarily at this point. We're trying to burn that son of a gun down as hard as we can. Um, and, and look, I, 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 they did nothing wrong to me. It would be, like I was saying earlier, sexy if they had of that they didn't, they didn't do it. This was all of my own doing. You know what I mean? This was me and my addiction and my, uh, lack of coping skills. And I did, I didn't know how to live life. I'd went through life like a hurricane, um, with horns, you know what I mean? So it's, I, I was destructive, uh, and destroying every relationship, both personal and professional I had at this period of time. Yes. There were some good times of wrestling in between there, but this was a bad time for me, you know? Were there any other names in mind or was it always going to be a VKM reference trying to throw the bitch shot? No, it was going to be VKM for sure. And me and uh, one of my children, I sat in my recliner and one of my children sat uh, on the computer and I said, look up all the words that start with V. And then I thought like, oh, voodoo's cool. And then I thought, well, voodoo Ken is like, if he's going to be Kip James, like we're not really Ken. So it's like Kabuki you know, Ken's, uh, okay, voodoo Ken, okay. And then the mafia was, uh, it just seemed to fit. So we came up with voodoo Ken mafia and Russo liked it. I mean, I came up with that and Russo liked it. And then we got, of course, down the road, we got Roxy Laveau. Um, that was, uh, you know, played off of the Madame Laveau or yep. Laveau or whatever her name is in New Orleans and all that. So, yep. uh, yeah, we, you know, it was all over the place. And because I really didn't know what we were doing, uh, you know, from a character standpoint, it wasn't, it wasn't something that, that we could take and evolve. It was either going to end drastically or, or nothing, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's probably just going to end drastically. And that's what people like at the end were like, oh, you, you knew they weren't going to do anything. Well, we, you know, we tried, we tried to get their attention and we tried hard. You're going to find out as we keep going. 
as <laughs> absolutely we will. As you guys are doing this, what's going on on WWE TV is Sean and Triple H are putting DX back together. Did this piss you and Billy off a little bit? That was kind of your thing. Well, look to to, to be honest. Yes, it did. But I want to be perfectly clear. It pissed off a couple of guys that were in active addiction. It was a couple of guys that's egos gotten out of control. And we thought we were bigger uh, than the business. And we thought we, you know, how dare they fire us? And, and look, it's once you come out of that fog uh, that is, you know, drug addiction and you kind of clear your mind and start thinking about your part in all this, like, what did I do? Man, I did it all. They didn't do anything. I did it all. And, and, and Billy is the same way. So we've grown up, you know what I mean? And we realized at the time those feelings were real and I would have fought either one of them if they'd have showed up somewhere. I mean, that's look, but I fight my brothers too on Thanksgiving, but, uh, but that's just how we roll. And so I would, I would have fought them at the time. Like now I think about that and go like, man, what a piece of crap I am. You know what I mean? Like what a bad person. Like that's no, not but, but is that fair to say that it's all the addiction and, and, and can't you actually be like, have the ego to say, Hey, I, I, I know that you weren't wronged, but, they, but, but you could still feel anger, yeah. frustration, disappointment, resentment, you know, based on the situation you were on top of the yeah. world. It was I, felt, I felt all of those things you just named. And I really did. Um, but Again, I think they were wasted emotions because they weren't coming from a, uh, balanced place. You know what I mean? So, so look, I, I do take the blame for a lot of, a lot of stuff that I probably, uh, shouldn't take the blame for, but, but I, I believe in holding up my end of the deal. I believe in the responsibility, my personal responsibility. I got to do what I got to do, you know? And that's what we were doing here. Me and Billy, they put us, put us together. Now, here we go. We go with the Dudleys. We do a little deal. Now we're going to try to get Sean and Hunter to meet us at the Alamo. <laughs> like the whole thing really is, uh, is just sticks, you know, different, different sketch comedy things and having a good time. Um, but also like if they come out here, you know what I mean? Or <laughs> if we, like we would have, I would, I would have fought either yeah. one of them. I, and now I will, I wouldn't have, wouldn't fight either one of them to save my life. You know what I mean? Like I just, there, that's just how I look at them both now. We're 180 degree difference than how I looked at them both then. Growth and evolution, growth and evolution, growth and evolution. I could have worked with anybody. It would have been the cruiserweights. Um, I would have just been their base for everything. Um, except for if it was a moonsault off a cage and I'm not catching you. Um, that's for those of you that know. Oh, wait, yeah. I'm, I'm going to bring something up. For those of you that know, you're welcome. I remember a moment that you had to catch Cody. I think you and Billy had to catch Cody Rhodes yeah. off the top of a cage. And I don't think you guys caught him. And yep. Dusty was pissed. Yes, Dusty was pissed. <laughs> Dusty said something. Look, I told uh, there's a long story behind that, and I'm not going to get into it now. But I told him I'm not going to catch you like a like we're you know what I mean uh, in a '69. <laughs> like, I'm not going to catch you like that perfectly. I probably shouldn't have said that, but anyway. <laughs> and, and he said, "All I need you to do is stick your arm out there." And I said, "I'll do that." Uh, uh, and and really, the cut they cut. 
to a different camera, it like looked great. Uh, but yeah, Dusty was pissed. And I mean, and, and when I went to NXT, not long after that, he apologized to me. And that's the truth. Dusty said, Hey man, it's my baby boy. And I, I said, Dusty, you don't have to apologize to me. I totally understand. I, I know they're working with the Prince. <laughs> yeah. You're working with the Prince baby. And, and, and I knew I was, and, and, and that's, and that's, you know, that's what it is. And so I had no problem with Dusty wanting to protect his child and, and being interested in his child's safety. You know what I mean? Like when you get down right down to it, it's okay, Dusty. I appreciate you loving me. You know what I mean? Enough to talk to me and, and let's have this conversation. So yeah, that was cool. All right. Right after this, at the DX pay-per-view, you and Billy defend the tag titles again against LOD and you retain after a DQ when Hawk uses Henry Godwin's slot bucket and attacks you both. <laughs> it makes you laugh thinking about it. Yeah. Talk to me about this. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, look, I loved, uh, I loved Henry Godwin. I still do. I saw him at uh, WrestleCon uh-huh. um, uh, a week or two ago and uh, man, saw him and, 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 uh, Phineas, yeah. Pig, uh, what, what great guys. So, yeah, I always loved working around and with them. But, yeah, he for real, he hit us with a hit me. Hit, I think he hit me or he hit me so hard I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> but but hit one of us with a slop bucket. We got uh, They got DQ'd. We hold on to the titles. To me, that's – and we were heels at the time. Like, it, it, you know, once we joined DX, things happened and, and uh, you know – uh, we moved over to the babyface category, but, but, but we were heels at the time. And so to, to scoop that up and to run out of there and to, uh, I forgot what we were talking about. Tell you the truth, Ryan. I'm that's all right. We're talking slot bucket and all, slot it, it, bucket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. I, slot bucket. Remember he hit me real hard. So it's a bong, <laughs> bong resin chair shots and slot buckets. Um, but yeah, so, so. I liked, how do you protect your guys, uh, your big baby faces that are the road warriors? You know what I mean? You have them go so physically crazy that it, uh, that they get disqualified. They're not in control but, of themselves. Right, right. And that, and, and people can understand that you ever got so mad and done something you wish you hadn't. Well, that's what, that's what that kind of finish tells me like Hawk's so mad. He didn't care what happened. He wanted to kill us. You know what I mean? And that protects them and we keep the titles. And so I, you know, but people always get into uh, those are philosophical and psychological arguments that really don't have any place because it's pro wrestling. You know what I mean? Yep, <laughs> so it's yep. again, we're the masters of our own destiny. We can do whatever we want to do. Um, so how are we going to, what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? You know what I mean? You continue on the loop at the Nassau Coliseum, and then in Raleigh, you still continue with wins over Rhodes Scholars. Do you think the WWE was undervaluing Cody and Damian Sandow at this time? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Look, I was uh, again a part of creative and a, and a producer and and wrestling at this time. I don't think Cody, and I think Cody would be okay with me saying this, and I think he'd agree with me. He wasn't ready to be where he is today at that point. That's for dang sure. Damian Sandow, I felt like, was a great wrestler and could do anything you ask him to do and and complete it successfully and, and execute it in a way where you go like, okay, great. That was great. Thank you. Um, I thought he was best and I, and I don't mean anything by this negatively, but I thought he was best when he was Ms. Dow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and so, uh, so I thought, I don't know, C- Cody wasn't ready and neither was he. So I don't think they were undervaluing him. I just thought 
look, they had a good little thing together. Then they split them up and, and, and Cody did his thing, which I thought was good too, by the way. Um, but yeah, look, I loved working with those guys. They're both great workers. They were just young in this and we were the old vets, you know what I mean? So we were trying to have just good matches and we did, we had really good matches with them. Uh, Yeah. You're having these great matches at the live events. Was there any talk of bringing it to television? No, there wasn't. (laughs) And, and the reason being was they were breaking those guys up on television. So they didn't think about us having that. I think we did work with them. Uh, we ended up working with them one time, I thought on TV, but that may have been a live event. Also, uh, remember the chair shots and bong resin. Uh, got me a little crowded. <laughs> All right. You guys come off the road and then you do a segment in NXT with the DX and click reunion type that included Kevin Nash. Damien Sandow interrupts it and it ends with Shawn Michaels hitting him with a super kick. Uh, next question is from a perspective I've seen a lot of fans write in their opinions. Do you think that WWE putting legends over the younger talent was something that hurt the younger talent? So, yes, I think the short answer is yes, but I think I don't think it's as as uh, cut and dry as that. I don't think right. it's as black and white as that. It's it's there's so many variables. And again, I will say this until the end of time: it is uh, subjective, not objective. We are the masters of our own destiny. We can do what ever we want to it's pro wrestling there are there is no it is not a science it is not uh you will not come up with an answer at the end of a math equation and go haha good wrestling like it is whatever you want it to be and so we can do whatever we want to do and i got off on my high horse and i totally forgot what your question was no you're on the same track and and, and you answered it with, with, with honesty and clarity so you guys are put back on the road when john cena comes off how did these conversations go? You mentioned Michael Hayes kind of wanted to put you on select cities at that point. How, how does this work out? Yeah, well, that's when John had something to do. And so they look at, we weren't on those shows. Uh, Michael reached out to me, said, hey, I'm going to call Billy next. Will you guys do these? So so it was all uh, uh, very kid gloves. We were we were handled with kid gloves on this run. And, and I appreciated that because I was wearing a, a lot of hats. And so was Billy. You know, Billy, we would we would fly for a raw or something and Billy'd fly back down the next day and have to go straight to the PC to coach. So right. uh, we were, we were, we both had our hands full. That's for sure. So let's ring the bell. Through the confidence, there had to be some concerns. What worried you? Was it about timing and every and making sure everyone hit their times or was there anything else that you were potentially worried about making sure it would run smoothly? So look, time was of the essence. Um, I think we went off the air right at three hours or right under three hours. And Which that is was awesome. Our, yeah, that was our goal. Um, we had more pay-per-view time, but we did not want to use it because I think it's it's I think a three-hour show is too long. Uh, but we had a lot of matches, and we got it in three or under. So I think we I think we did that. But that was my biggest concern was I didn't want to go heavy and make it everybody wait too long to see mm-hmm. Rick. And because I do feel like even though all those talents showed up and busted their humps, and man had great matches and, and put together a great show for us. I'm not talking any less about them, but it was about Ric Flair. And so we wanted to make sure we had time enough for Ric Flair and not at the end of a, of a long drawn out pay-per-view. Oh, now here's Ric Flair. Bing, bang, boom. Bob's your uncle. (laughs) You know what I mean? Get there and and get and show, give me what I came for. And so 
yeah, that was my biggest concern, and it turned out it wasn't a concern at all, man. We 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 timed it out away, and we nailed it. We, uh, we nailed it in a way <laughs> that that WWE doesn't nail it all the time. So so man, it was a it was an awesome experience it was behind fun. the curtain as well. It was fun being between you and Scott discussing the times like yeah. we're, we're, we're one light we're one yeah. heavy it's yeah. evening out we're doing and, well and we were man and it was like he kept looking at me like we're right on time you know what i mean and i was thinking there's no way uh but man it, it worked out that way like i said earlier man something special about that night was there any segment that you knew would have to be cleaned up day of show mm, the uh Look, the Frank the Clown thing came together, and there were a lot of changes to that as far as talent and yep. who and where and when. Some was booked. Some got canceled. Who's going to do it? Uh, some uh, Hammerstone, bless his heart, got, got, was coming out um, and going to do that spot for us, but he, he got delayed, and he couldn't make, the, couldn't make it to Nashville in time. Yep. Um, so uh, hopefully we will see him in the future as well. Um, and And – thank him for trying but yeah a lot of changes went into that particular segment it was on the pre-show but it was it was the only thing i couldn't i felt a little less control over but uh and we orchestrated and put it together exactly how we wanted to but i just still i just felt a little out of control of that one uh and maybe it was frank the clown and maybe his inexperience or i don't know him that well i don't know he did great he really did. He did great. Uh, soon as Probo, he said, uh, "Yeah, I'll get. To, we'll get to that later. I could probably get to it." He, oh, okay, he said, okay. <laughs> "We'll get to no, it." No, he said, "Like break, I though. hope Ric Flair dies." And I said, "Hit Fatu's music." <laughs> I said, "That's all he needed to say to see me wanted to get his head kicked off." Yeah, Dave's show is here, and the atmosphere behind the scenes is hectic. As there's a lot to get done, a lot of variables, and not a lot of time. On a WWE pay per view, the crew usually has about six to eight hours from call time to show time to make everything happen creatively. On this show, we had about three hours or so. Were you stressing? Yes, I was. Um, but I knew that if we could talk about a color scheme, talk about lighting, talk about what Ric Flair's entrance looked like. Mm -hmm. Jeff had a good idea what he wanted his, and we could just throw everything at the rest of them. You know what I mean? A lot of that we had, look, we had made video packages or received video packages from the, a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, independent uh, companies yep. and so we could play their video package or whatever while while or their entrance you know video walls but i knew that we could just throw lights and lasers and everything else at everybody else's because you look normally i walk through every entrance on the show yeah. um with three hours not even really doors were at 3 30 and we got out of the production meeting about 1 30 so so really we had about two hours to try to do everything and it just i knew right then it wasn't realistic so i thought prioritize compartmentalize what do we need to get right and and man it came together and we got it right and it seemed like uh josh josh smirnoff the guy who made the vodka uh, made all the Titan Trons. What's his last name? Shernoff. My bad. My bad. That's that's me. <laughs> Not Smirnoff. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I apologize. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Josh Smirnoff. No. Shernoff. Shernoff. Josh Shernoff. That's a mouthful. 
<laughs> Speaking he, of mouthfuls. So apparently he made all the Titantrons um, and, and pro- a, lot, a lot of the lower third graphics and stuff like that. So look, he's another one of the unsung heroes Very that cool. I wanted to mention today on this episode called Unsung Heroes. Some changes had to be made right away as travel issues caused a cancellation and other delays led to switching of the match order. Do things like this always happen on big big events where, where you got to make some shifts and changes? So, so, look, not normally. Especially not normally on an event this size uh, of this magnitude. Like, but, but what couldn't be helped is the weather. And the weather... Uh, was the reason for the only hiccups that we had as far as travel and reordering the show. Now, look, we reordered the show a couple of times, uh, you and I and Conrad just just kicking it around. But, of course, this day of decision, and that's what was great about this. I was literally signing autographs and taking pictures in the day and then jumping through hoops on text threads like, oh, they can't make it? So Get so-and-so here. What if we use so-and-so? You know, and so uh, a lot of that stuff, the Diamond Dallas Page thing came along at about... Uh, two o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday, <laughs> <laughs> so so things were changing up until uh, day of, and then some. But look, that's you you learn to roll with the punches and, and control kind of what you can control, and and the rest of it is out of your control. Now, look, I, I think I said it a million times, and I'll say it again. I showed up with the attitude that I'm going to do everything I can. I believe everybody else showed up with that same attitude, man. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Listen, man, I know it sounds too good to be true, but I want you to just do me a favor and run on over to savewithconrad.com. Get yourself a quick quote. My man, Andy M just left us a five-star review over at conradreviews.com. And he had this to say, the effort and communication from Josh was above and beyond. We ran into several unexpected hiccups along the way, but Josh kept us informed and kept looking for options to get things done. In the end, we were still able to refinance to a 15 year loan, or we're going to be able to pay it off in 10. And we took enough cash out to pay off our credit cards, my truck loan, and even buy my wife, her very first new vehicle. We're going to save over $500 a month from what we would have been paying without the refinance. We can't thank everyone enough. Now guys, that right there is a win, win, win situation. Let me explain over the last couple of years, your house is probably worth more than ever. Now what you do with that equity is up to you. And what I'm going to recommend is we do what our man Andy did. Andy took himself from a 30 year loan down to 15 years, but he's planning to pay it off in 10. Now, how can he afford to do that? We got rid of all his credit card debt, just like that. We got rid of his truck loan and we even got him enough cash to get his wife a new vehicle. The result, cheaper monthly payments. How does that happen? How do you get a new car, pay off a truck and get rid of your credit cards and cut years off your loan? You go to savewithconrad.com. We're going to get you cheaper monthly payments. And how's this for starters? No house payments for the next two months. That's right. You can skip your next two payments. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And buddy, if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. And here's the best part. We don't say no. We say not yet, but here's how. I don't care if you relate here or there. Maybe you had a bankruptcy back in the day. Maybe you were late on a credit card. We're going to help you figure out how to get in the situation that your family needs now and long-term. 
We want to be your mortgage advisor for life at savewithconrad.com. So just before the pre-show is getting ready to start, Sim Bodie, one of the producers on the card, comes up to me and says, have you seen the AAA guys? <laughs> I come to you and explain that they haven't shown up yet. What goes through your head at that moment that we don't even have a match here right now? Yeah. So, so look. You're like, to be, cut it. <laughs> to, be, to be totally honest, I think that's what I said first, um, was cut it. We got too many matches anyway. However... I am so thankful, so <laughs> thankful I was, uh, I, I didn't cut it, and we did find them, and we just weren't looking in the right place. <laughs> they were there, and, and we, uh, we weren't aware of it. So we thought they, they hadn't showed up yet. Uh, turns out they were there, and just not where we were looking. They showed up and showed out, man. Couldn't Show be thankful enough for AAA, night. you know, letting us have, the, have those four guys. And bro, did they put on a performance, man. That Ray Phoenix is something to, uh, something to, behold but he he was the best but holy mackerel the other three were just as good like it's crazy that taurus whoever that guy is taurus was wild hey he worked that entire match with that thing on his face and he saved uh bandito saved bandito's life breaking his neck yep yeah yeah bandito uh, went for the somersault plancha he caught him him almost landed on his head caught him in that and then brought him up for the for the sunset over yeah it was amazing spectacular (laughs) the code red like it was yeah it, it Look, some amazing stuff in there. Uh, and again, so thankful for AAA for loaning us those four talent. Uh, those four talent were incredible, and we thank you guys uh, for sharing them with us. 